I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. And this is, let's see, <laughs> this is Ghost Killers. No, it's not, what is but it? that sounds like an awesome name. <laughs> it's Armchair Apocrypha. Armchair Apocrypha, that's right. <laughs> this is the show where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Yeah. Uh, we're joined today by uh, Mercury, who is our new dog. Mm-hmm. Say hello. <laughs> he, he, we haven't taught him that yet. No. Uh, what kind of dog is he, Rachel? He's part German Shepherd, part Rottweiler. Mm-hmm. He's a good boy. He is. He's the best boy. He's very cute and very big. When he's he jumps so up, friendly. he's as tall as me, if not a little <laughs> bit taller. Which is what we were looking for. He has been uh, a little bit under the weather the past yeah. couple days, but he's feeling better, so mm-hmm. we thought that we'd have him on the show tonight. Yeah. Yeah. He's excited yeah. to be here. He is. You might not be able to tell. <laughs> yeah, he's excited. Yeah. It's, cool. it's been a while since we recorded. Yeah, it has been. Um, we were going to record on Friday night with uh, some other people that you've already heard from, Kate and Cameron. Um, but unfortunately, Cameron had to work, so yeah. he had to leave early. Um, they'll be back. They'll be back. Uh, tonight is the night that our one-year anniversary episode is dropping, so... Ah! That'll give you some uh, some I context for how long it's been since we recorded. <laughs> um, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Despite all the uh, the people quitting at work. Yep. <laughs> I will strive through it somehow. Just a little bit understaffed. Lots of caffeine. <laughs> yeah. Lots of coffee. Lots of coffee. Yeah, but I'm working on it. Good. Hopefully. Good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty okay. Good. Yeah, just been uh, hanging out with the best boy here. Mm-hmm. Making sure he doesn't get into too much trouble. Yeah. So far, so good. So far, so good. I know. <laughs> he sees us talking about him, and then his eyes like get wide and his ears go back. Yeah. And he's like, happy, happy, happy. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you want to get into today's episode? I'm ready for it. Sweet. So I'm going to be talking about Malka or Mala Zemetbaum. Have you ever heard of her? Nope. She was the first Jewish woman to escape from uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau concentration camp. Oh, snap. Um, it does not have a happy ending, I will tell you right now. Thank you for that. <laughs> Just so you don't get too excited. Okay. Um, so she was a Polish Jewish woman... Um, she was born in Brzesko, Poland, and was the youngest of five children. Okay. Um, during her childhood, her family relocated to Belgium. Uh, in school, she excelled in mathematics and languages. You stay. <laughs> You're not going to beg us to go out again. Yeah. Um, at age 24, she was arrested in the third Antwerp raid on 11, uh, uh, September 11th and 12th. Uh, in uh, 1942, she was sent to Dawson Barracks um, in Mechelen, and on 15th September of 1942, she was put aboard transport bound for the Auschwitz concentration camp. Um, when she got to the Auschwitz uh, concentration camp, because she excelled in languages, they put her to work as an uh, interpreter. Um, she was fluent in Dutch, French, German, Italian, and Polish. Oh, shit. Yeah. She knew her languages. She knew her languages. 
Um, she had a relatively priv privileged position, uh, but she devoted herself to helping the other inmates. Uh, she interceded to have inmates sent to easier work when she suspected that they were not fit for harder labor. She sneaked photographs of uh, inmates' relatives and sent them out to the, uh, out. She snuck in photos through the files and sent them out to the workers in the camp. Gotcha. Um, she also got food and medicine for the people in need and cheered people up and encouraged them through their working days. Oh my gosh. She was a good person by all accounts. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, while she was in this concentration camp, uh, she fell in love with Edward Edick Galinsky, who um, she and him planned to escape from the camp with his friend Weislaw Keeler. Okay. I believe is how it's pronounced. It could be Kyler, but I'm not sure. Um, Kyler uh, was in charge of doing the uniforms and ended up losing a pair of SS guards uniform pants uh, that w they needed to disguise escape. yeah, disguise yeah. themselves for their escape. Glensky told his friend that he would escape with Zemet Bomb instead and would later find a way to send the uniform back to Keeler for his subsequent, subsequent escape. Uh, Zemetbaum wanted to escape so that she could inform the Allies of what was going on in Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. uh, she is said by some sources to have been the head of a resistance group within the, the concentration camp, but that's not confirmed. Yeah. Hashtag armchair apocalypse. Yeah, hashtag. Uh, their plan was that Galinsky would dress up as an SS guard and escort uh, Zemetbaum through the perimeter gate, pretending he was escorting her to install a wash basin. Cement bomb would be carrying a large porcelain wash basin in, the, in a way that hit her hair so that the guards they passed would not know it was a woman he was escorting. Okay. Glinsky would show them a forged pass and they would be let out. Cement bomb would be wearing a pair of overalls over a dress that could pass for a men's shirt when inside the overalls. When they got far enough away, Zemet Bomb would dump the wash basin, remove the overalls, and wear the dress, and they would pretend to be an SS guard and his girlfriend on a walk. Oh, okay. Uh, on, in June of 1944, the couple put the plan into action and succeeded in escaping to a nearby town. They did it? They got out of the camp. <sighs> they got to a nearby town. Unfortunately, uh, after their escape, Galinsky, um, Galinsky went into a nearby store uh, to try to buy some bread with gold that... Um, sorry. Zemetbaum went into a nearby store okay. to buy some bread with some gold that she and Galinsky had stolen from the camp, and a passing German patrol became suspicious and arrested her. No, damn it! Galinsky watched from a distance as Zemetbaum was arrested. Knowing she would be killed for the escape, he turned himself into the German patrol since they had promised not to separate. Stop it. <laughs> Uh, they were taken back to Auschwitz uh, and sent to Block 11, which was a punishment barracks known as the Bunker, where they were placed in separate cells. Glensky was ev eventually put in a group cell with another man. Uh, he scratched his and Zemetbaum's names and camp numbers into the cell wall. A, friend, a friendly guard passed notes to them through a hole in the wall between the cells they were in and an empty one. Uh, sometimes they would whistle, whistle to each other uh, down the hall, um, and when outside for exercise, Glinsky would stand near the window he thought was the Met Bomb cell window and sing Italian arias. Oh my god. Stop. But keep going. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Glinsky and Zemetbaum were taken out to be executed at the same time in the men's and women's camps, uh, respectively. Glinsky jumped into the noose before the verdict was read, but the guards put him back on the platform. Glinsky then shouted something to the effect of, Long live Poland, uh, and he was hung. One mm. of the guards tipped the stool while he was saying that. One person told all the other prisoners to take their hats off as a respect to Glinsky, and they all did, to the fury of one guard in particular. Yeah. Bomb and the other uh, in the women's camp took a razor blade out of her hair and slit the veins on the inside of her elbows. Um, Accounts vary as to what happens next. Hashtag armchair apostle. Some some reports say that um, she announced that they would soon be liberated and not to give up hope. Others say that she slapped a guard and proclaimed that she was dying a hero and he would die as a dog. I like that one. Um, Still others state that she shouted to the assembled prisoners to revolt and that it was worth risking their lives, and if they died trying, it was better than the situation they were in now in the camp. Yeah. Um, Everybody agrees that she did indeed slap a guard's face um, with her bloody hands, and he grabbed her arm and broke it. Ugh. Uh, The camp staff jumped on her, knocked her to the ground, and taped her mouth shut so that she couldn't continue speaking. Uh, an SS officer named Maria Mendel said that an order from Berlin had come to burn Zemetbaum alive in the crematorium. They put her in a wheelbarrow and had selected several prisoners from the front of the group of onlookers to take her to a nearby camp infirmary. The nurses bandaged her arms as slowly as possible, trying to make her die as quickly as possible. Zemetbaum said um, weakly to the assembled prisoners, the day of reckoning is near. On the way to the crematorium, Zemetbaum told the woman pulling the handcart that she was on that she knew she could have survived, but she chose not to. Be, she chose not to because she wanted to follow what she believed in. Accounts of her death differ. Again, uh, some say that she bled to death on the cart, while others report that a guard took pity on her and shot or poisoned her in the crematorium so that she wasn't burned. Uh, still, others uh, said that she had poison on her and took it before she could be burned alive. Okay. So we have three accounts of the um, of how the execution, all, yeah. and then three accounts of the aftermath. Yeah. The prisoners uh, forced to cremate the corpses had been informed that cement bomb was arriving, and they made special preparations. Uh, they prayed and cried as they burned her remains. The prisoners who had pulled the handcart then went back to the barracks and told the other prisoner uh, prisoners what they had witnessed. Um. Information regarding Zemetbaum was made available to the public in the official testimony of Mrs. Raya Kagan, delivered on June 8, 1961, during Session 70 in the trial of Adolf Eichmann in Jerusalem. After World War II, little is known of the surviving members of the Zemetbaum Hartman family. Uh, her siblings survived the Nazi Holocaust. Um, it is also known that Gila migrated to and died in Guayaquil, Ecuador, and that her direct descendants are all aware of Zemetbaum's legacy. So her siblings made it, and Gitla made it out to Ecuador. Where's the movie or Netflix special about this? I know. We need at least, like, a miniseries, right? Oh, yeah. All I this s- stuff I happening. Was, um, yeah. That's really good. Thank you. Um, mine is actually two women... Because uh, one's short, the other one's longer. And they also talk about female ladies from World War II. Okay. 
<laughs> so we've got a little bit of theme here. We're on the same, same <laughs> wavelength, clearly. So the first lady I want to talk about is called, her name's Eileen Nearn. N-E-A-R-N-E. Nearn. Nearn. She was born in 1921 in London um, to an English father and a Spanish mother. She was the youngest of four children. Mm-hmm. Um, her older sisters, kind of gives you a little bit about her background, Jacqueline, and one of her two brothers, Francis, would also become a special operations executive operative, SOE. When she was two, the family moved to France, where she became fluent in French. Okay. Um, so we've got polyglots. Yeah. After the German invasion in 1940, she made her way to London via Barcelona, Lisbon, and Glasgow, while the rest of the family rena- remained in uh, France. Mm-hmm. Um, on her arrival in England, she was offered service in the WAAF working on barge balloons, but I can't really have time to go into barge that. Barge balloons. Barge balloons. Um, but turned this down and was recruited by the SOE. Keep in mind, she's 19 at the time when this is all happening. Right. Initially, she worked as a home base signals operator. We'll get more into this on the next person, too. Receiving secret messages from agents in the field, usually written with invisible invisible ink on the back of typewriter typewritten letters. Okay. Um, her sister, Jacqueline, was sent to France to work as a courier. They... Um, the sisters were supposed to keep their roles secret from one another, but obviously that was not the case. They yeah. knew what each other were doing. So Eileen was flown to a field in France in the early hours of March 3rd, 1944, with her like, with one of the guys she was working with, John mm-hmm. Savvy, to work as a wireless operator as part of this uh, secret mission called Operation Mitchell. Her cover story that she was Mademoiselle Dutorte. Um, using the codename Rose, she was given the mission of helping Savvy set up a network in Paris called Wizard. Its aim, unlike um, networks that were dedicated to sabotage, was to organize sources of finance for the resistance. Okay. To actually get resources to people fighting over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, her role specifically was to maintain a wireless link to London. And in the course of the next five months, she transmitted 105 messages. Um, the guy she was working with returned to London with an important information about German V-1 rockets, leaving Eileen on her own um, in France. Mm-hmm. Although she did not know it at the time, the same aircraft which took Savvy home also was carrying her sister Jacqueline, apparently, nice. who had just completed 15 months in the field. Um, that would definitely be in my Netflix special. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in July 1944, her transmitter was detected and she was arrested. Eileen survived in silence the full revolting treatment of the Bagan Noir um, in the torture chamber of the Paris headquarters. Um, Bagan Noir, I think, is the French term for water torture. Okay. To get a little more gruesome details, the way the Gestapo tortured her is they beat her, stripped her naked, then submerged her repeatedly in a bath of ice-cold water until she began to black out from lack of oxygen. Um, but she never told them anything, her real identity, the names of others working with her in the resistance, and the assignments given to her. And at this time, she's only 23 years old. Who was uh, that journalist who said that water torture wasn't uh, uh, torture and then did it for like two, two minutes? seconds, and yeah. Then like, oh, this is awful. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. I, I know. I've heard the story. I can't remember. I don't remember who it is. Yeah. But it's what I always think of when I think of like water torture is the. Oh, that's nothing. Yeah. The. Um, the one journalist who did it and was like, oh, this is terrible. We should not be doing this to people. 
Um, so now she's captured and tortured, and then from there she's sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Yeah. Um, she had her shave like everyone else. At first she refused to work in the camps, but changed her mind, seeing that this was the only way to survive. Yeah. Um, five months later, she was moved to Markleberg camp near Liesig. Um Why, I'm not really sure. They just, okay. they move them all the time. Is it Liesig or Leipzig? Liesig. Liesig, okay. Um, there she worked on a road repair gang uh, for 12 hours a day, but while being transferred yet again, she and two French women escaped by hiding in the forest. Um, but then they were arrested by the SS. Um, but then they were released after fooling their captors and reportedly hidden by a priest. It is Lee's pig. I'm sorry, with the P. Okay. Um, until the arrival of United States troops. I think he just wants <laughs> He's going to go to the door again and say, let me out. I know. And he's not going out. Um, But, yeah, the troops, the U.S. troops came and, like, kind of took him. Yeah. But she wasn't out of the woods yet. American intelligence officers initially identified her as a Nazi collaborator. Oh, no. And held her at a detention center with other captured SS personnel until her account that she was a British secret agent was verified by her superiors in London. Um, so after the war, Eileen lived in London with her sister, where the New York Times reported she suffered from psychological problems brought on by her wartime service. Duh. After her sister's death in 1982, she moved to Torquay and lived there quietly until her death. This is a little sad. She died alone from a heart attack in her seaside flat. Her body is thought to have remained undiscovered for some time until found on September 2nd, 2010. She was 89 years old. Eileen talked about her wartime activities on a Times Watch television documentary in 1997, but she wore a wig and spoke in French under her codename Rose, and her wartime activities were generally not known about. It was only when her flat was being searched by council workers to try to establish her next of kin that medals and other papers related to her career were found. Okay. Um, her next of kin, Anise, was located living in Italy. And has said she was said that Eileen had been portrayed as being alone or unloved, adding, although I don't live in the UK, I was very close to Aunt Eileen and visited her often. I only saw her six months ago. She was always cherished by the family. So that's a little bit about Eileen. Um, so here's the other badass lady. Okay. Um, her name, I might mispronounce it, is Nor Inyat Khan. Um, Inyat is I-N-A-Y-A-T Khan. Inyatkan? Inyatkan. Nor. Okay. N-O-O-R is her first name. Okay. She was the, all, she was the oldest, and this is supposed to be the youngest, the oldest of four children, and was born on January 1st, 1914. Was she and, also a polyglot? Huh? Was she also a polyglot? Nope. She was uh, born in Moscow. Damn it. There goes my title for the episode. Yep. <laughs> in um, 1914, shortly before, obviously, the break of the First World War, her family left Russia for London. Um... And there, uh, Nora attended a nursery in Notting Hill, hmm. which I only know of from that movie. In 1920, they moved to France. So we have a lot of French speakers. Um, so, yeah, she has, she speaks multiple languages. She, She's oh, a polyglot. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were saying something about Poland. Oh, no. Um, yes, she is. Yeah. Three and polyglots I, versus Nazis. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> in 1920, they moved to France, um, and they settled nearby Paris. Okay. In a house that was a gift from a benefactor of the Sufi movement. After the death of her father in 1927, um, Noor took on the responsibility of her grief and mother and her younger siblings. 
Um, Because she would be 13 about this time. Okay. As a young girl, she was described as quiet, shy, sensitive, and dreamy. Well, isn't all, aren't all girls around that time? <laughs> she studied child psychology at the Sorbonne and music at the Paris Conservatory, um, composing for harp and piano. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she began her career writing poetry and ch- children's stories and became a regular contributor to children's magazines and French radio. In 1939, her book, 20 Jakarta Tales, inspired the Jakarta Tales of Buddhist tradition, was published in London. Nice. Although Noor was deeply influenced by the pacifist teachings of her father, she and her brother decided to help defeat Nazi tyranny. Um, I wish some Indians would win, this is her quote, I wish some Indians would win high military distinction in this war. If one or two could do something in the Allied service, which was very brave and which everybody admired, it would help to make a bridge between the English people and the Indians. Um, so in November 1940, she joined the Women's Auxiliary Air Force, the WAAF, and um, as an aircraft woman, second class, was sent to be trained as a wireless operator. Nice. Upon assignment to a bomber training school in June 1914, she applied for a commission in an effort to relieve herself of the boring work there. Boring. Boring. That's what I would describe it as. Yeah. Later, Nora was recruited to join F. France, section of the SOE, Special Operations Executive. And in early February 1943, she was posted to the Air Ministry. Yeah. Cool. Uh, she would be the first woman. To, uh, she would be the first woman to be sent over in that capacity. All the women agents before her had been sent only as couriers. Couriers. Couriers, having previous wireless telegraphy training, and she had an edge on those who were just beginning their radio training because she was both fast and accurate. <laughs> they say she was physically quite small in stature. She <laughs> received poor athletic reports from her instructors. Can run very well, but otherwise clumsy, unsuitable for jumping. Pretty scared of weapons, but tries hard to get over it, is what another person says. Scared of weapons? Yeah. The military is a great uh, Wait, great uh, career path. Yeah. Um, so Nora's mission would be an especially dangerous one. So successful had female careers been that the decision was made to use them as wireless operators as well, which was even more dangerous work. Probably the most dangerous work of all. The job of the operator was to maintain a link between the circuit and the field in London, sending and receiving messages about planned sabotage operations or about where arms were needed for resistance fires. Without such communication, it was almost impossible for any resistance strategy to be coordinated, but the operators were highly vulnerable to detection, which was improving as the war progressed, obviously. Um, hiding themselves as best they could with aerials strung up in attics or disguised as washing lines. <laughs> Excuse you. They tapped <laughs> They tapped out Morse on the key of transmitter and would often wait hours for a reply while alone waiting for a signal in reply saying that the messages were received. If sta- if they stayed on the air transmitting for more than 20 minutes, their signals were likely to be picked up by the enemy and detection vans would trace the source of these suspect suspect signals, which is how they got caught. When the operator moved location, the bulky transmitter had to be carried, sometimes concealed in um, a suitcase or in a bundle of firewood. If stopped and searched, the operator would have no cover story to explain the transmitter. Right. In here's the fucking kicker. In 1943, an operator's life expectancy was six weeks. Damn. That's how dangerous it was. Damn. Six weeks. Yeah. Um. 
So, Nor was promoted to assistant section officer, um, and she was flown um, by Lysander, it says with the June moon, which I thought, to a field near Angers, from where she would make her way to Paris to link up with the leader um, named Emil, or his code name was Cinema, because of his uncanny resemblance to the film star Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper? Yeah. Okay. Um, once on the ground, Nor would make contact with him um, and take on her new persona as a children's nurse, Jean-Marie Renner, using fake papers in that name. I think it's Renoir. Renoir, yeah. R-E-N-I-E-R, yeah. Um, using fake papers in that name. To her SOE colleagues, however, she would be known simply as Madeline. So you have all these fake names. Yeah. About two months later, so longer than six weeks... Um, Nor was betrayed by someone in the SOE. Um, they aren't quite sure it's between two guys. It could have been Gary Cooper lookalike or another guy. So on or around October 13th, 1943, she was arrested and interrogated at the SD, Air Cor- SD headquarters in Paris. During that time, she attempted escape twice. Um, Hans Kiefer, the former head of the SD in Paris, testified after the war that she did not give the Gestapo a single piece of information but lied consistently. Good. And then about a month later on November 25th, she escaped from the SE headquarters again along with other fellow SOE agents who were captured at the time. Two other ones. Mm -hmm. But they were recaptured in the actual vicinity because this is how it worked. There was an air raid alert as they escaped across the roof. Regulations required a count of prisoners at such times, and their escape was discovered before they could get away. After refusing to sign a declaration renouncing future escape attempts, Nor was taken to Germany on November two days later for safe custody and imprisoned at Pisseforheim. What P- is it? Forzheim, probably. P.F. O R Z H E I M. Yeah, Forzheim. Forzheim. And solitary confinement as Nacht and Nabel, meaning night and fog. Um, as one of those prisoners and complete secrecy. So for they didn't tell anyone, so right. no one knew where she was going. So for 10 months, she was kept there shackled at her hands and feet. Oh, Jesus. That's rough. And I complain about life. <laughs> um, as do I. <laughs> Okay, sorry. So, Nora was classified as highly dangerous and shackled in chains most of the time. As the prison director testified after the war, Nora remained uncooperative and continued to refuse to give any information on her work or her fellow operatives, although in her despair, at the appalling nature of her confinement, other prisoners could hear her crying at night. No shit. Yeah. However, by the ingenious method of scratching messages on the base of her mess cup, she was able to inform other inmates of her identity, giving the name of Nora Baker and the London address of her mother's house. But Nora was abruptly transferred to the Dachau, 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 thank you, Dachau concentration camp, which we all know, that's a very popular one. Mm-hmm. Not for good reasons. With um, three other fellow agents, and at dawn on the following morning, September 13th, the four women were executed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when obviously the war ended, they captured all these awful Nazis, and one of them gave a story about how they were all just shot in the neck from behind, and but they say that this is an unreliable count, 
as um, when one of the investigators asked the guy the following question. He said, but tell me what really happened to which the person responded. So you want me to tell you how it really happened? Meaning it's probably way worse. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1958, an anonymous anonymous Dutch prisoner asserted that Noor was cruelly beaten by an SS officer named Wilhelm Rupert before being shot from behind. Her last words were reported as Liberté. She was survived by her mother and her three siblings. And they kind of just ended on that on all the articles I saw. I mean, actually, no. They did talk about um, there's a plaque of her in London. Yeah. And, like, some statues and things about that. But that's it. So I read through that really fast. I meant to elaborate more. But these two women were, like, in the Secret Service. Yeah. Special operatives. And they... Like, the one survived barely. Yeah. She got captured after two months. But all these ladies who did it, it said their average lifespan was six fucking weeks. Because they get caught because, like it said, the more, the longer the war went on, everyone's technology got better. They knew what to look for because if you capture people, like, I'm not going to blame someone who's being tortured anyway if they accidentally give, if they give it away or not just for fresh breath of air so now they know exactly what to look for yeah. and it's crazy so those were my two ladies nice. i couldn't decide between the two and i the one was a little bit shorter yeah. than i usually talk because i like to talk but um so i decided to do both i was only going to do one yeah if all four of us were going to do it on friday yeah. which is why i added tonight the second one which is a, a lengthier one that I just, I mean, they're both amazing. Yeah. One survived and one didn't. Right. But 50-50. Right. It's actually the better odds when <laughs> it comes to World War Two. <laughs> Isn't that right? Mercury. Mourn the dead, fight for hell like the living. Yeah. So, those were my stories. Good. Those, those were good. Those were really good. I'm seeing like a Munich uh, type of film in my head. Okay. Where you follow both of them on their different missions. And they, yeah. And it's all very tense because like, you know that at any moment one of them could die. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. Spielberg, get on this. Yeah. <clears throat> but I know I was thinking about that because these are around this, obviously around the same time. Yeah. These two women were doing pretty much the same thing. They were really close to each other, but they never knew each other. And they were on the same, they both had the same goal in mind. Yeah. So, it's just really interesting. Fascinating doesn't sound like the right word to use, but interesting doesn't either. But you know what I mean. Right. Mercury seemed to enjoy them. Look at how happy he is. He seems pretty happy. So happy. Good. Happy puppy. No, I might. I'll try to not do a War Two <laughs> one next time. But we'll see. We'll see where it takes me. <laughs> Sounds When good. you said yours was about this person from, from World War Two, II. II, I was like, oh shit, yes. <laughs> well, we've got a theme. Yeah. It's always good to have a theme. We didn't even try, but we did it. Makes uh, naming the episode easier. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah. Any updates? Anything else? Uh, as usual, buy my books. You can find them on the website. That's uh, absentactivismarts.wordpress.com. Um, 
go check out Katie's artwork. Oh yeah, uh, it's fabulous. Music by Chad Osman and uh, Joshua Paul, Joshua Paul Brooks. Um, sorry, I haven't got back to you, Josh, for listening to this. I will do that sometime this week. Um, music by Josh Brooks and um, Chad Osman. Uh, I've got a Halloween story coming up on Wednesday, so that'll be out by the time this episode goes up. That's exciting. Um, Do you have a title for it yet? The Man Made of Cosmos. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, Sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. It kind of is a Twilight Zone episode. (laughs) It's like 30 pages, so it's it's like the length of a Twilight Zone episode. Um, Yeah, Halloween story is coming up. Uh, What else is there? Um, If you want to become one of our patrons, um, it's absentactivismarts.patreon.com. Um, what else is there? Websites. Uh, check us out on Facebook. It's, yes. um, absentactivismarts.com. Uh, Facebook. Facebook. It's <laughs> Arts. Um, we're on Twitter, but we have never used it. It's just kind of there. Um, if you feel like sending us an email, it's absentactivismarts, uh, at gmail.com. Um, and I think the puppy is going for the uh, the door again. So quit I doing that. think we're going to get out of here. <laughs> um, do you have anything else? Nope. All right. Uh, until next week, listeners, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Oh, he's getting his bone. Okay, we're good. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining us, uh, and we will talk to you next week. Yeah.